The following podcast contains uncensored coarse language. Listeners are advised that some of the following content may not be appropriate for those under 15 years of age. Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we are watching The Master, as it is turning 10 years old. You do you do realise that this is not a Doctor Who movie, Stephen? Ah, nuts. Oh, well. It's not a kung fu film either. <laughs> well, then what is it? We're going to find out together. I'm joined, as always, by someone who has seen the film before and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it is Comedy's own Tegan Mulvaney. <laughs> Oh, that's a terrible introduction. The pressure. The pressure. <laughs> <laughs> See, that again. was funny. We all laughed. Good, good. Excellent. How are you, Tegan? I'm good. I feel like we're getting naughtier and naughtier. The more of these that we do. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's why we have to space them out now, just to just to try and let it breathe a little bit. Otherwise, it'll just become an hour. We of don't respect nonsense. the rules of the podcast. <laughs> You've had some sugar, haven't you, Tegan? No, I've had carrot. You, what, I've had nature's sugar. What is that sugar. right in front of you? Clinker chocolate? Yes. <laughs> but you did have carrot as well. I had carrot so too. It's a, it's a balanced I blame diet. nature and I blame health. Yes. Um, it's a healthy pie. <laughs> Tegan. What? The master. Yeah. Uh, what do you know about it? Nothing. I sincerely thought it was a like a kung fu martial arts film. I think because kung fu panda's been happening, yeah. they got mixed in my mind. <laughs> wow. I mean, um, I also haven't seen The Master, so I'm presuming I feel there is like some from flow through. There's a Bruce Lee film called The Master, or something mm. that there must be something out there. Yeah, Drunken Master is uh, Jackie Chan. Maybe that's what I've thought of. Mm. I've seen a picture, and it looked like a martial arts movie. This isn't because I'm looking at the the picture on the screen right now, and that's Joaquin Phoenix, mm. <laughs> and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I as my, I would love to see them. Kind yeah, of get a kung fu, a kung yeah. Fu, Hell yeah. yeah, that'd be great. But uh, I, I, I have a feeling that, yeah, the appearance of Wacken Phoenix means not kung fu is probably fair. And the appearance of Philip Seymour Hoffman means it was creepy. made before 2015. Yeah, is, is unfortunately what it means. Yeah. Mm. Um. Well, luckily for you and for me, we have someone here who has seen the film and can confirm that it is both not a Doctor Who film oh. or a kung fu film it is mr robert woods hello uh how you doing robert yeah about about a seven excellent uh the master what what is it about then if it's not about fighting time travelers or just fighting people in general what is this film about the master is a sort of character study mixed with a, a classic power play all set against the backdrop of a thinly veiled retelling of the creation of one of the most famous cults in the world. He oh. did that from his brain. Yeah. That sounded like you read that off something. It really that did. was so what, well what, done. What I liked was the way he kind of like cupped his hands as he did it. It was like, it was very <laughs> I dramatic. did it out. Cupped yeah. his... <laughs> Just his hands, that's all. <laughs> Robert Woods is a good boy. There's no fiddling with naughty bits while we're doing the podcast at all. Oh, that's for after. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, I guess... Robert, it's kind of a strange one because my, my knowledge of this film is a little bit like Tegan's where it's like, okay, this yeah. is a film with two actors just really acting a lot of actory stuff against each other. Oh, yeah. But that's that's all my context is. is it's Wacking Phoenix uh, and Philip Seymour there's, there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah. Uh, but, but that is probably the 
the biggest takeaway mm. <laughs> from the film. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson film. Mm. He's a famous director um, who has doesn't really have a, a. He sometimes does funny films. He sometimes does really dramatic films. Um, Shush. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and this this one is more the drama side than the comedy, though. With Philip Seymour Hoffman and Yakin Phoenix, uh, there's going to be some fun stuff in there that I'm sure mm. <laughs> we'll find. Totally, it's yeah. been a long time since I've seen it too. I've only seen it twice, both times at the cinema. So I'm keen to check out the Blu-ray. Okay, and Tegan, we were talking before, you, you, you are a fan of at least one of Paul Thomas Anderson's films in yeah. Punch Drunk Love. That's my favourite film ever. Favourite film ever? Yeah. Even more than um, Drop Dead Fred? Oh, okay. Even more than the Muppet movie? No, you've caught me. <laughs> I think if I was, like, if I was on a date and I was trying to impress someone who was filmy, I'd say that Punch Drunk Love is my favourite film ever. Nice. That's, yep. that's the way I'm going to describe it. I'd fall for you. Oh, stop <laughs> it. Punch Drunk Love is great. It's mm. just, yeah, it's it's like, we were talking about before how it's it just shouldn't work because it's so full of whimsy and, mm. and naff lines and cheese, but it's done so well that it... it it's just also got this streak of just bizarre idiosyncrasies. Yeah, that- and pain <laughs> and like yeah. loneliness and it's just gorgeous. The way, the way that it paints this odd picture of this couple that shouldn't work any and a main character who you shouldn't be rooting for you know we're gonna enough, watch I that think, right can we watch that next week oddly enough i think that description is pretty apt to this film cool. but in a but in a different way yeah like in a mm. in a different tone well i think he knowing that knowing it's him now there's the director and the films of his that i've seen there's you can see those themes running through a few of those a few mm. of them they just i like how he approaches them differently in each film because you could say that Boogie Nights has some of that in it too. And two. you could definitely say that Magnolia has that as well. Magnolia has more than two people. <laughs> but yeah. Yes, true. <laughs> Excellent. True. Okay. Well, with all that being said, shall we watch The Master? Yes, we've only got eight minutes before the PS5 will enter rest mode. Oh, okay. Well, then we better better jump onto it. Uh, for those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and prepare to cosplay as Roger Delgado. Oh, no, it's not that master. As we watch... The Master. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching The Master. And I'm joined once again by Robert Woods. And Tegan Mulvaney. Hello. Tegan? Yeah. That was your first time watching The Master. Yeah. What did you think? I don't know. <laughs> Correct. I don't know what I thought. <laughs> I, I like, I, I was so um, into it. You mm. wouldn't stop talking through the film. You have a thing where you talk through the film. Yeah, the, look, the, 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 certain films. It was when there was lots of tits on, it was like. <laughs> certain films have got lots of rich comedy pickings. And I just can't help myself. Yeah, it was really funny. Because like, there's, there's some bits in this that I think are quite legitimately funny. Yes. Um, but a lot of it is quite slow and contemplative. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it, it is And engaging. as I was contemplating, <laughs> I was just throwing these zingers from the side. And I was like, 
don't laugh, Tegan, because you just keep doing it You'll and you want to watch you. the film. You'll make Paul Thomas Anderson angry. Don't do it. <laughs> angry Anderson? Angry Anderson, indeed. No. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I thought. All in the positives, though. I was very, mm. very, very engaged in that film. Um, uh, yeah, I, I was definitely having a good time, uh, not just because I was making Zengas, but which I actually think is a sign I found of when I'm enjoying a film, is I'll start making jokes about it because I'm like, oh, this is something that I'm kind of engaging with and enjoying. But but Robert, yeah. um, my my uh, is it <laughs> is it is it a, a a a unique film? It is. It's a fascinating film, and it is not my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film, mm. but it still has, gosh darn, the most impeccable artistry yeah. behind it. He definitely made it. I know that mm. might sound dumb, but it's when you watch it, you're like, yes, clearly. Paul Thomas Anderson made this film. It's, the it's, way that it looks and feels. You know, it's interesting because the way that this film looks was quite a departure from every other film he had made really? to this point. Mm. Just so in, familiar. Well, because every film he's made since this film has pretty much been using this... The, this this film was the first film in I don't know how many years that was shot on sixty five millimeter film. Oh. Uh, first film in uh, sixteen years. I think it was Kenneth Branagh's right. Hamlet was the last oh. film yeah. that was shot. Are we going right. to talk about screen ratios. Let's do it. Let's, <laughs> this is at two point two one to two point two to one. Yes. And uh, so, uh, Paul, but Paul Thomas Anderson is was like famous for his anamorphic widescreen. Gotcha. Cinematography. Yes, which, yes. If you think of Punch Drunk yes, Love and those, like those wide, yeah, and wide, wide frames, and the, and yeah. The, yeah, and um, his very specific way of moving the camera and stuff, and that's that's present here. But it's uh, he wanted this to feel like the large format still photographs that the character is taking photos with it mm-hmm. at the start. The, that very old fashioned look that has the super, super, super shallow depth of field. Which is why there's so many shots of close-ups of mm. faces where, you, like, you just see that the eyes are in focus and it, it fades away. Like, even just the nose and the the rest of the head fades away. Um, and it it does have a very old timey feel yeah, to it definitely. because of that. Um, and since since that, he's used those large format cameras for for the, the films he's done since. Right. Um, and they. And so they they do have that that feeling, and he still he still sh- shoots it kind of classically as well. But um, I just remember seeing it and and being surprised by the look of it the first time I saw it, um, and it's his first time using a different cinematographer as well because his. Mm. Yeah, that was something I was going to jump on there because uh, Robert El- Ellswit, Ellswit, sorry, was um, was his cinematographer for Punch Drunk Love right. and for There Will Be Blood, but uh, he wasn't available for this film because he was doing a Bourne film, like the Bourne something, Bourne legacy, yeah, some, something like that. So uh, yeah, and that that does obviously factor into the fact that this film does look quite different from from other things. But this is and this is like this is how his films look now where mm. he like he shoots on film and then he edits digitally but then he doesn't color grade he goes straight back to the negative and cuts it and does it all uh 
does the look of it chemically so so as not to degradate the film too much or to digitally process it too much to keep it as crisp and as possible um and it has it doesn't it, it's got a very kind of not dry but um just kind of uh a f- very old school filmy natural look to mm. it definitely yeah that's um, that it, it's not color treated. No, you it's can like, feel that. It's very that. plain. Yeah, like, this is like straight out of out of the roll, and this mm. is like feels like there's choices to enhance that with like there's minimal makeup, and there's there's yes. lots of other seemingly obvious choices to help enhance that too, where everyone mm. looks natural, but mm. but sort of not as well. And even the mm. performance style, um, where it's it's not improvised, mm. but like there's there's clearly lines that they're hitting, but it feels like they talk over each other, and yeah. it feels like you're never quite sure mm. where they're going to go in the frame. And yeah. um, there's freedom for them to do things, but the things that they're doing have been workshopped and considered. Yeah. So it's not as though they've just gone, "All right, Wacken Phoenix, you go. make Break it the up." Toilet. Yeah. I mean, I mean, admittedly, that was not meant to happen, but I thought so. <laughs> but I guess. The things that feel familiar are those sort of setups, those mm. sort of like pop the camera here, mm. see what goes yeah. on. Mm. It reminded me of the like the punch drunk love scene where he breaks the window, yeah, um, and then all the all his sisters scream <laughs> at so him. Funny. It, yeah. Where it's like it's so you're set far back from it, but it's just it's a set shot. You're not necessarily the proscenium. Yes, mm. um, just very theatrical, but also very simple. Mm. Even that shot, that shot we went. Wild over on the boat where yeah. the, the camera was cl- was obviously attached to the boat because the camera wasn't moving. Everyone yeah. else was moving, but e- the camera shot was super still. Yeah, the boat always remained center of frame, yes. not moving. But the world he is likes still doing that, doesn't he? It's, yeah, like like he likes to attach it to car doors, and he doesn't care if people open or close the car door, and the camera swings yeah, out and back. It. Like, he's like he likes to. But it's a weird distortion to it because you feel like you should be moving, but the mm. camera is dead still. Nothing is moving. <laughs> Except well, the people. It's it, really it, cool. It actually gave me the impression of being on a boat. Because yeah. when, when you're on a boat, the boat doesn't seem like it's moving. No. It seems like the world around you is moving. And having been on many an Irish sea ferry crossing, that sort of rough <laughs> sea thing, I was like, oh, it's like being 10 again. <laughs> so, uh, the, the story of the film uh, is, uh, surprisingly, the foundation of the Scientology movement. which well, um, For legal well, reasons. For legal reasons, sorry. The foundation of... The cause, Ooh. very very clever. I figured it out, and I felt so smart. <laughs> yeah, you, you figured it out, even though it was very. It was very evident, <laughs> but through most as of the it, as it goes, even on. things like they're on a boat. When it when it occurred to me, I was like, oh yeah, that's that is they on. He was always yeah. on a boat when he was riding. Oh, idiot! You you cleared him pretty quickly, though. I'd have to say. I was mean, that? I, yes. yeah, I, I I was aware of it because I had done some research, and I was like, oh, this is a film which is sort of about Scientology, but without saying that it's about... Yeah. I mean, it isn't a film about Scientology. It is, yeah. it's, a, it's a film it, about It's cults. the background, yeah. really. It's, it, it's, a, it's a film about the formation of a cult, and it is definitely used, the Scientology movement, as, like, a foundation for the cult that they've built in this film. Mm. But the film isn't so much about the specifics of the cult, because we don't really learn that much about the teachings in terms of what they specifically are, because they're not what's important. What's important is how this central figure and indeed the figures around him are putting themselves in this position of power and influence over other people. 
Hmm. Um, it's it's pretty fascinating though that we. I think it's really interesting that we follow Freddy for for the majority of this film as someone who is sort of brought into the cult. And before he comes into the cult, we get that lovely extended prologue sequence, as you called it, Robert, yeah. where he just has a kind of like good time and then shit time um, for 20 minutes, where we see him in, in the army and he's having a nice time on the beach, watching the guys wrestle and then building sand ladies and then committing acts on sand ladies. <laughs> um, and then his, his... Moonshining. Yeah, his moonshining, where he might have killed a guy. Um, and then his, his uh, brief photo career. And, you know, we see these, all these ups and downs, but he ends up feeling pretty low, sneaking onto a boat that turns out is being run by, by a cult, by uh, big, the, the big daddy himself, uh, Lancaster Dodd, which is such a great name for this character. I just couldn't get over it. I was like, that's the perfect name for for this sort of character well done everybody <laughs> um and then yeah what proceeds is two hours of Wacken phoenix and um philip seymour hoffman just acting their pants off sometimes literally yeah <laughs> yeah and it it's very engaging to watch them mm. uh go at it um uh through tumultuous highs and lows as as they are i i think the film is essentially their relationship mm. yeah it's it's about these two figures and the weird kind of love that they have and this strange power over each other that they have mm. um and it's not the kind the central relationship in this one feels harder to grasp at than I think a lot of other Paul Thomas Anderson films, mm. which is why I don't think it, it's stuck in my mind as much as the others, mm. as great as, as it is yeah. put together and, and it is to watch. Um, it's not one that, that's remained in my mind as strongly as his, all of his other films. I've got to say. Mm. Yeah. I, I still can't quite figure out why they're so drawn to each other. I think that, yeah, that's. I mm. like. I can see. I see essences of it, but then, at the end, I was like, "You told him to come to England. <laughs> now he's going away." Oh, there was but was that was a like, dream? I hope not. <laughs> that that would have been really. Is annoying. that what they? Uh, yeah, it was. Um. It was interesting. I, I the i the idea of this broken guy in Joaquin Phoenix's character, and just thinking like. How he we have that that saying people with an addiction the only way to T two said it the only mm. way to um, deal with an addiction is to replace it with another addiction mm. and that's what you kind of see a lot of broken people who maybe have had something that they're trying to find something to fulfill their life or fill mm. to fill, fill the a void there yeah 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 and and Freddie goes all in like I, I think it's really interesting that he becomes a dogmatic follower more for his social standing than for any belief in in what the cause actually represents mm. um to the point where you know he beats up bill because bill says that the new book yeah. is is not very good and that's not the only time we see him physically harm someone that that opposes um mm. the position of power that that lancaster holds and it's it it, it is really interesting because I, I sort of get the 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 attraction if we want to call it that of Freddie to Lancaster because he is so 
helpless. He's almost like, if I can lift up this poor soul, if I can make this sinner become a valuable member of, of the cause and of our community, then my powers are essentially unlimited. I can mm. do anything. Would, that would be my reading of it anyway for that half of the relationship. Mm. And for, for Freddie connecting on to Lancaster, he's got it all. He's got a boat. You know, he's got daughters that are getting married. Whenever he's got something that needs reminding, his wife comes into the bathroom and just jacks him off until he remembers <laughs> it. Like he's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, that, that scene was I mean, that quite shocking. It was well, shocking. We, it was great. Uh, sorry, Robert. Well, we don't get... We don't get Lancaster's prologue. Mm. So we don't we don't ever get the um the solid reasoning we can make inferences, but we don't get a solid reasoning why he's drawn so much. Mm. Um and uh I think that's I I don't so much have a problem with I, I can see it. Mm. I can see his love of especially that, that very last scene where you see his kind of jealousy of that that man's freedom mm. um or perceived freedom to him um considering where he is and the amount of pressures on him mm. um but also what am i trying to say <laughs> he's because we're in freddie's point of view I, all the way through it, I was never quite sure, um, with the way Joachim Phoenix plays it, how much he really cared about all of the, the, what's it called? The, the cult stuff. The teachings. Yeah. The lessons. Like how much, how much he really believed or cared about that stuff and, Mm as much as he was intrigued by this man. Well, it fluctuates from throughout the film because, but but, yeah. I, but I do agree that he, he does show at times the window to the wall sequence where yeah. he's, he's just trying to get that method, that method, whatever like, that lesson yeah. is. And he doesn't get it, but I think he's persisting in it, not because he has a belief for the cause, as you say, but because he wants to impress Lancaster. Yeah. And, and like, it feels like Lancaster in that moment is like, this isn't working, but we just need to wrap this up because this guy's beyond help mm. and and i don't I, think he wants to admit that this guy's beyond help but yeah i guess i read it sort of similar slightly different of, of him i didn't read it as him thinking he was beyond help i read it as him thinking um he doesn't know what to do next because it's all bullshit science yeah. and, it's, <laughs> and he's not going to admit that he has to pretend that this was all all for the the good of this. Yeah, you know what trillion I mean? with a T. <laughs> that that's what it felt like. That moment he was going. It was like a moment of seeing that character Lancaster just be like, mm. "Oh, I don't. I'm not. I'm not really not. This is. I've, I'm bullshitting my way through this, and I can't make well, this they, person work because they, this person is too both broken. Bullshit each other. Yeah. Mm. All the yeah, way different through. way. Okay. Yeah. That, and like they do, maybe even, they see that even in at each that other. very very end is like i feel like is that final bit of bullshitting but there's at least an understanding of underneath what's there and that um it if you get anything out of the film it's that final scene where there's like there's this understanding between the two of them 
and it's kind mm. of sad, happy, bittersweet kind of thing. It's an mm. interesting spot to leave it on. And then also he gets to have sex and he's that's all he's been trying to do for the entire film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but and and that feels like it's very much even though sex is not forbidden in the cause, it feels like a, a sort of rejection of all the teachings of you you are not an animal. Yeah. It feels as though doing something that is quite physical and, and the way it's shot as well. Um for, for me I think it very much shows where Freddie has kind of gone, yeah, these teachings were were nonsense and I am going to go and whatever I'm doing next, I'm, I'm doing it because it's what I think is what I want to do as opposed to mm. he's not connected to the cause in any way. Like he, he, he has left that cause. I wonder if I feel a, bit bl- a bit blue-balled by the film. Go like, on. Where I, I wonder if it felt a bit... If you're tackling, albeit subtly in inverted commas, something like Scientology and mm. a and a character like L. Ron Hubbard. Mm. And I, you, there's a bit, you know, there's a, there's a nice little kind of character exploration. This is definitely a character exploration film, like yeah. you were saying at the start. But you have someone who is utilizing pseudosciences, is building a cult around him or a, chur- a church around mm. him. And then... Because we have that narrative, as soon as that stuck out in my head, I was going, I, I, I think I want a little more. I, yeah, I don't, I don't mean I don't need you to teach me the practices or any yeah. of that sort of stuff, but I need a little more um, of a break to this. We got some breaks in that character, in Lancaster's character, where he snapped or he changed, but there was, there was not enough grit. It's, yeah. It's if you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it was ever advertised as a Scientology no. film and it was never it doesn't need to be either as that as as well no it, it doesn't need to be i did it was as soon as it kind of dinged in my head i went oh there's there's like an in, another interesting yeah thing there, and i, and I, I was like not, you are exploring the idea of this being pseudoscience hypnotherapy hypno, hypnosis um indoctrination you you blatantly say that in this piece. You have yeah. a character who is specifically in the piece to just be like, blah, 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 bullshit, blah, 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 hypnosis, blah, 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 you suck. So it's like, okay, well, it's there. So how do you then balance that out? How do you then give the audience two sides to look at? Mm. It, and that's, so I'm thinking about it now going, I don't feel like I was left satisfied at the end of well, it. Well, you know, I, this this is the film that he made after There Will Be Blood. And that's my favourite Paul Thomas awesome Anderson film. film. Yeah. And that film has the the very opposite ending of this, where yeah. the very end of that film is such a climax and such the the closing of a character arc yeah. and a closing of a movie and it feels like so final. And stated, and then end credits, um, and this is this is the opposite of that. It's it's a it's it's not it's not that it's not doesn't feel final no. because it definitely does, but it's it's a slower. The whole film is is slower and and more. Um, I think I wanted more of the meet, them meeting in England. I think it is a nice scene, but I was kind of like, ah, oh, you told him to come. You say that you were in the. Prussian war and then he goes away 
And Amy Adams is there. Well, I think that, and I think Amy Adams and her character of Peggy is the really interesting thing because one of the reasons why I think we Mm. have this attraction between these two main characters is because of the role of Peggy in both the life of Lancaster, but also in the the cause of of Lancaster's. And she sees him like as a, as a threat or as a liability yeah mm. so so cleanly because Definitely she's a liability she's all in on the cause in what it represents for lancaster and for her to yeah. the point where she's having his babies she's yeah populating now, the I, world i i don't know whether or not peggy believes in the cause from, from my reading I, I have a feeling like she's more but along the line like, of believing it yeah but part of me is also thinking she's believing it because if she doesn't believe in it the whole of her life is a sham so do you know about the second the second in charge Mormon dude, you know, like the Mormons, the Latter Day Saints. How there's, what's his name, Smith, Joseph Smith, or whatever his name yeah. was, and, and the, the one, in, yeah, the one who, the one who went up the mountain and, and then found, came back and was like, yeah. I can talk to God, and then went back up the mountain and went, I can marry heaps of bitches. Yeah. Um, yeah. so the second in charge, she reminds me of the second in charge of the Mormons. Mm. So when the Mormons were in, were invented, is what I was going to say. Mm. Um, so the when what's his face smith came back down the mountain the second time and was and was like hey guess what god just said i can marry whoever i want and i can have seven thousand wives isn't that it's what god told me it the guy that was second in charge was so distraught about that because he loved his wife and was married to his wife and only wanted to be with his wife and his um faith in this he followed this fuckwit all the way through America and all through this stuff and, and was so upset with this man for changing the rules um, that he almost lost his position because he wouldn't marry other wives. So the way mm. that he fixed it was any Mormon that was widow, any Mormon widow, he would then marry the widows. So okay. he would marry women in their 60s and 70s or however old they were getting at that time to, so he could still live with you know, as many wives as he wanted, he ended up with like 30 wives, but he married the ones that needed looking after and protecting. He's like the Laura Dern character. He was because yeah. he acted, because it, and the reason it reminds me of that is because it was Laura Dern and Amy Adams, particularly, uh, right, yeah. particularly Amy Adams' character is because it's like they have to keep up. They have to keep this up. They have to, they'll find yeah. a way to make it work because they have to. Yeah. Because they've just given their lives over to this whole cause. Um, yeah. Wasn't Brigham Young that you were thinking? Probably, of? I don't know. Just the second Brigham dude. Young. He just yeah. married all these widows. Which, funnily enough, was the instruction that uh, jo- Joseph Smith led <laughs> for his new wives. Brigham Young, and clearly That's... Lancaster died as well. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting that this does feel obviously like a very American story because of its, and not only its reflections of uh, its vague basing basing on Scientology, but also. To, to an extent, Mormonism and, mm. and the Latter-day Saints, um, who probably aren't too keen on being roped into this conversation of cults. But any, but, but, but any cult, any church, is, any, yeah. any, you could argue any religion has this, this, you know, this infinite need to believe and, yeah. and that, that infinite belief system is put onto mm. primarily mm. men yeah. in a position of power who say that they talk to a higher being or who say that well, they, they have the yeah. truth. QAnon. So. Yeah, and what I think is quite oh, absolutely, mm. it, yeah. Even looking at it from that, like um, looking at conspiracy theorists mm. nowadays, this and sort the of stuff. Need to double down. 
Yes, mm-hmm. because they, they know the truth and they are ex- expanding yeah. people's knowledge and enlightenment. But what I think is quite clever that this film does is I think by, by not basing it on Scientology, just because obviously that would have presented all sorts of legal issues, but by not basing it on the, the what the, the beliefs of the cause are, they're not that important to the film. They, they, they and and I think that's they're the really clever needed. thing because the point of the discussion isn't saying oh, religions are bad or these things are bad. What it is, is it's a it's an examination of these power dynamics. Yeah. Now, the clash it, of these two. Yeah, it may, it may also, you may come away going, boy, these things are bad. Yeah. But I think that's more down to an individual reading than the intent of the director. Yeah. And that's, that's why I don't, I don't need necessarily, I go back to being blue board, I don't need necessarily <laughs> need Lancaster to be a bad guy. Because mm. I don't think he see. I think, there is something important in him genuinely believing in what he teaches and and sees mm. um, and studies and the intricacies of the things that he creates. But I think I need more tangible wear and tear, like more mm. like, uh, I, I don't know. The, the, I don't know what I need. Well, Who well, knows I, what I need? I do feel as though the second half of this film does meander a little bit and get a bit lost in its own stuff. And that maybe makes sense because the the from certainly from Freddie's perspective, he's very confused. He's got a lot going on. He's trying to figure out what he actually wants from his life. He then tries to get some of it. Obviously, with Doris, mm. um, turns out well, you, you, you waited way too long there, buddy. She's in Alabama and she's Doris Day now. Um, but but it's which is a wonderful joke. Uh, but it's um, it, it's it's kind of really interesting that. The film does a good job of capturing that, and I actually think it hurts the film a little bit. The whole motorbike sequence, with just like, oh, he's not coming back with the bike. Oh, he's not. He's he's gone. I, I it, <laughs> yeah. that, that noise. Well, it, it left even, me cold. But even like the, I, I can understand how tantalizing it is to explore um, yeah. this the the cult side of it and that the writings and stuff of it like that. But in focusing on Yakin Phoenix's character so much those uh, he he always kind of has to be in the vicinity of them mm. for them to to be in the film True. and there's mm. and they they do justify these long sections by always cutting back to him and holding on his face mm. as as these speeches and um and uh principles and things are, are being told but definitely love those parts to to see it have, like, have they're a really interesting yeah mm. but and, and seeing his behavioral change throughout them because obviously when he's going through his initial stuff on the yeah. boat and he's like writing messages going do you want to fuck to the yeah. to the yeah. other people like you see like him that. trying to fit in and then you see him going along with it you see him genuinely being affected by it and then and then just being annoyed with it mm. um and mm. Maybe I wanted more of that. Perhaps. It's but it's it would... like it's it's never it's it's also interior. It's all very, very yeah. interior and it's all up to us to decipher yeah, and to mm. figure it out. I uh, think what I think, what we think he's yeah. feeling at any given time. And it it, it is a very much open to interpretation, I think. Mm. Wacken Phoenix in particular, I think, does a really good job of making the interior as exterior as he can without saying this is what i'm thinking this mm. is what i'm feeling i think they, they both do yeah well, it's, everyone like it's it's a great it's a bloody great ensemble it's cast a great cast this, actually yeah it, it, like, it's, even the side players are all like yeah you, know, all you got rami malik there just he's fantastic rami malik does some of the best background acting yeah, yeah. just i was i can't jesse plemons 
Yes. Mm. I, the, Rami Malek, I couldn't stop looking at in a mm. lot of the scenes because he was just this awkward nerd. Yeah. Who yeah. was <laughs> the way he was standing and holding himself? It was really endearing and like to, and so different to what you see him in nowadays i guess yeah like, it's no, very funny it was good as you say jesse plemons he's he's great in everything yeah. and uh, he yeah. was great in this um as baby hoffman yeah <laughs> this sort of like first pokemon evolution state of jesse ventura <laughs> just he's, he's, not, <laughs> he's not quite there yet but but he's really good in this um it's a great ensemble cast i really also think they do an excellent job of playing around with the idea of temptation particularly sexual temptation because we know uh, bloody freddy's like jerking it on a beach in the opening five minutes Mm -hmm. we know he's got some level of sex obsession or something there and i think it's really interesting that a lot of the women who are in the cult aren't overtly sexualized in the way that I think a lot of other cult films would have them. You you have Elizabeth who is there as sort of the, who is physically comes on to him and is like grabbing his thigh during one of the meetings and things mm-hmm. like that. But the way, it, it, yeah, it's very much, it's, it's really interesting that they play with temptation, but it's only sort of sprinkled throughout. I, I thought it was going to be a much bigger plot point because other films do that. And this film chose to have it there, but not have it as in your face. Uh, it actually dealt more with Freddie's relationship with sex, with the fact that he slept with his aunt multiple times, um, mm. and that he confessed that in that scene in in the interview. It's a crazy scene. It's wonderful though. It's Perfect. such a such a fantastic scene. Um, and then, but then, it, what I think is really interesting is that obsession with sex is almost internal as well, and it's it's seeing how Freddie is trying to process it but we d- we don't really have those scenes where there's somebody with the exception of the thigh grab scene there aren't those scenes of people doing that however that is then all of a sudden a, a scene where all the women Lynch. at the party are naked which yeah. which is like a visualization and, of that and who notices stuff. that mm. it's amy adams is the one that notices that yeah the way him. she's looking at she him. and that's when she 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 immediately goes yeah. and then is like this is this guy is and this guy is not on the level. And that was yeah. the thing that made me really kind of go, oh, that's how we're doing it. I, it's a very obvious, th- a bit like, oh, this is a Scientology film. Oh, he's obsessed with sex when literally all the women in the scene that had clothes on suddenly don't. But it was, um, I just thought it was such a great way of showing that in a way that was quite, and it was quite shocking the, the, the yeah. way it was done because I just wasn't expecting it and then you got your Philip Seymour Hoffman doing his little party dances <laughs> yeah. sing a few numbers in this yeah oh, yeah, regular little music man um, um, yeah I was just thinking as you were explaining that this is almost like um, the inverse of Pygmalion <laughs> or like the failed <laughs> a failed My Fair Lady <laughs> it's like didn't work out <laughs> I was like, it was almost there. <laughs> yeah, even the romance of it. It's like, oh, it's yeah. So great. But yeah, I, I, God, I, I just keep coming back to how great Amy Adams was in this film. Just, just, just her. She's like, got a really interesting part. The, where... Yeah. But like what, what, the scenes where she's, she is doing the, the process, mm. the process is the, the lessons or whatever they are with, um, with, with Freddie, where she's just shark eyesing him the entire time. And it's like I, I will break you, or you will you will actually become a member of this cult. And, then and her eyes and, turn black. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and the way she holds that power, and then we see how she holds that power are the other characters in the scene. Mm. And, like, the, the like the power she holds over um, Lancaster through sex mm. and through force of will and through being the, the matriarch in this family figure and through having the children and, and all of this thing. She, she is a, a really interesting position character-wise in this film. And I love the fact that in that final sequence... She's got she's got what's quite clearly Peggy's chair off to one side of this grand throne room, and and you know all all the power is actually in that little chair, <laughs> and it was so beautifully done. And the fact that she just gets up and leaves, because she's like, this is not where this church is going. This church, this this yeah. following doesn't have Freddie in it, and I'm leaving. And I from the point that she got up and left, I was going right. Well, they're not gonna. Even though she's not there, yeah, she said her piece. The, the, even the, even though yeah. Lancaster says you, you can stay or you can go, it's like there's no way. Yeah, there's, it's there's like no way. Yeah, Peggy, it's, it's Peggy, Peggy's gone. That's it. It was and, it was remarkable. And, and that's and that's also when Lancaster is like, I if if you find a way to live freely, mm. let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a remarkable film, but I have to agree with you, Tegan. I don't know if I like it. I just, yeah. It's like, it's not the most fun film, is it? It's, it's like, definitely got moments, though. Oh, for There's sure. Some beautiful... But it's not like, hmm. it's not, it doesn't have that, like, the end of, uh, there are multiple moments in There Will Be Bud, um, and I'm sure in um, Punch Drunk Love and, yeah. you know, Boogie Nights and Magnolia and stuff, but the, the end of um, There Will Be Blood, I... When it finished and the the title came up, I uncontrollably stood up yeah. in the cinema. Mm. I just stood up. I was so elated. <laughs> like this this film never gets never quite gets there. <laughs> nah. No. He goes back to Sandy though, his his beach girlfriend, as Tegan named her, which was <laughs> Well, I thought that was that was a an interesting like a callback and it, it just like it clarified his arc. Mm. To him, in my mind, which was he just wanted to have sex, yeah. And it's like he is the animal, mm. and the other guy is the scientist, and they are oil and water. They might love each other, but they will never. They're never, ever, ever going to get along, mm. and they both know it. Um, but it's an interesting the notion because they with the with Sandy, beach lady, because they lingered on him curled up in her arms most of the time. Mm. So you had the the gratuitous, you know, him him grinding on her, but then but th- most mm. of the time it was him wrapped up under her arm and uh, being held. And, and she's massive. And he was only wrapped up with her when he was alone. When the other yes. sailor boys were around, it was all getting yeah. there, doing all that kind and of And then thing. when he's having sex at the end, it's very gentle. Mm. She's on top. Mm. There's lots of other things about it where you go, oh, well, that's not an animal fucking. That's a, that's it, genuine. It's two people enjoying each other's company, yeah. having a good time, having sex. And like it, it's, It was calm and mm. <laughs> it was very free. Without being, it was no, there was no aggression in it, and you'd expect aggression. Like you see the way that he is all the way through yeah, it. Yeah, he, he, There was no aggression in that at and all. There's no aggression towards women. Do we? And do in we the take, whole film. Do we take that as maybe some of the teachings got through to him? I don't know. I th- this is where I'm like, I actually don't know, because I I look at that and I go, 
I want I, I think I want I want him to have found that on his own and perhaps the teachings helped but he was drunk so when they're having sex he'd, he'd had a drink again so if I'm like if the point was to mm. replace the addictions with something else to free you because the the drinking and all of the boozing and, and everything was part of the problem which is what Amy Adams kept saying stop boozing stop boozing mm. in that scene he fe- he looks the most free he's ever felt he's back on the island being held where he felt most comfortable and he's drunk mm. so he's almost found a balance he's, between yeah. everything in spite of the teachings and in spite of um, his shitty life. And do you know what I mean? Like the, he, he's but found his like, own balance. He's like, well, at least he, he is aware of, of what works for him. Yes. And he's not trying. He's like, he, he might've like relapsed, but he, he knows who he is. Like yeah. he, mm-hmm. he knows who he is inside and he knows what's going to work for him. Yeah. Also, if this, someone is that drunk for the whole life, to, to make them not drink would kill them. I, yeah. I know that's a suspension of disbelief I should have, but I was like, I can't suspend disbelief that if that man stops drinking, he will die. But I don't think he ever really stopped drinking. No, no but even good. calming it down, I was like... Yeah. Maybe that's the bits that I wanted. Maybe that's what I wanted. Some mm. of, Because we're seeing it through his eyes, I wanted to see his more of his kind of... Well, he never, he never actually does like a... A full rehab thing, does he? Like, no. Yeah. We, did, we, we get we, the, the impression that he's well, he's not drinking paint thinner anymore. Did, did you want Joaquin Phoenix from Walk the Line? Was that what you wanted? You wanted him <laughs> like strapped to a bed, just like <laughs> don't know what I want. Chewing at the cushions. I don't know what I wanted because I didn't know what I was walking into with this yeah. film. Maybe that's part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. This is a weird one. It, it is a it, weird it's, one. It is a weird one, which is why I was really surprised that it showed up on the on the on well, the list. I was like, "Oh, that's an interesting, an interesting choice." Well, I like, just thought look, it was we, a kung fu film. We've just done three kung fu panda films. We needed something different to cleanse it's, the palate. It is. It is very different to kung fu panda. I will give it that. <laughs> um, oh, there you go. <laughs> I I had the pleasure of um, being in New York during Hurricane Sandy. And seeing a screening of this film at a theater downtown in 70 millimeter projected 70 millimeter in this grand old theater. Um, And it was the, I think it was the first time I had seen film projection in uh, since, since they switched to digital cinema many, many years ago. Mm. And um, I had also I'd never seen seventy millimeter film projected before, mm. and um, that that opening shot of the water, yeah, going through, um, I didn't realize it, but when it came up, it was like it flashed into my mind. Oh, I instantly awesome. remembered sitting in that cinema and looking at the image and seeing seeing the clarity of it, but also the that. I'd forgotten the weirdly the nostalgia of the the slight the gate, the slight gate, and the, mm. the the very 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 fine scratches oh, and, and cool. dots on the on the and screen. And then walking outside, and the streets looked like that because <laughs> of the hurricane. Well, they they didn't. It, it, they they looked 
bleak and uh, snow was blowing everywhere. Oh, wow. It was mm. not nice. It was not a nice walk home. But um, but it was a good film. Like, it was literally mm. like a dangerous day to go out. But I was like, I am not missing this screen. <laughs> I'm <laughs> walking out in dangerous That's weather. the power the master has over people. It's true. <laughs> when it I was. saw Twister... Oh, I wow. came out of the cinema. Speaking of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes, yeah. I'm going on theme here. Um, it was the day that the Twister went through South Perth across the foreshore. And like, so this is quite a few years ago. I'm going to say, I've not heard of this. This is a long time. So this is when 97, when Twister, 96, yeah. 97, 97, okay. when Twister was in the cinemas. And I came, so we were watching the film, laughing about like, la, 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 scary, scary, scary. Ooh, special effects. Walked outside, looked at the sky and went, wait. Are we in the film? It was terrifying. <laughs> wow. And then that night, an in, a massive twister <laughs> went through South Perth foreshore and destroyed all these homes wow. on the foreshore. Yes. I, th- those ideas of like when you walk out of a cinema and it's yeah. like, wait, I'm still in, the, I'm still in the thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's very immersive. It was. <laughs> it was. Brilliant. Would you like some trivia about the master? Lay it on me. Do you? Do you want it? Yeah, right. All of this trivia comes from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. First bit of trivia. During the jail cell scene, Wackin' Phoenix breaks a real toilet. Uh, as we all saw, uh, his actions were improvised, and due to the historical past of the building where the scene took place, the toilet was considered uh, a historical relic. Oh, what a wanker. Uh, Fucking actors. Wacken had no intention to break the toilet, uh, nor did he think it was possible. No, but there is a moment. If you watch that back, there is a moment (laughs) when it breaks and he breaks character for a split second because he looks at it. And then kicks it again. Yeah, he's like, he does. Have to go with it now. Yep, that's that's an actor going. Whoops. Ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> and going yeah. with it. Like, I've made a choice. Yep. Uh, we got to keep going because this has to be the take yep. now. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. It has to also, be. But also, fuck off. Mm. Look, he's two for two for damaging bathrooms unintentionally oh, in so films we've done stupid. on this program. So just hate it. You know, if we do Joker and he breaks an ensuite oh or something. And I swear Philip Seymour I Hoffman is watching him as well. Don't like, get me started on you. Joker. I cannot believe they're making a sequel to that film. Oh, my God. It doesn't need a sequel. I love Joker, gonna, but it doesn't need a sequel. Uh, We'll, we'll get to Joker one day. But Why not, don't you like it? Because it's fucking stupid. It's not. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's like the fourth Hangover film. It's so bad. You don't see <laughs> it as like a, a... This is big. You don't see this as a homage to King of Comedy. It's basically King of Comedy. No, it's, a, it's a, like a pale inter- Im- imitation. I mean, yes, that is the best, better it's, film. It's, it's once again just Todd Phillips glorifying bad behaviour. Oh, I didn't see. I didn't see it as glorifying. It's and it, it's like it's like people that you know watch Fight Club and think it's about making underground fights. And yeah. They miss the satire. Yeah. This is a director that missed the satire of the King of Comedy, and he's made the exact same film he always makes. Yes. And it is just a a blatant like call to. So you think he's trying stupidity? To be, so maybe he's trying to be clever because I thought he was paying homage. I think he's to trying to be Conan. clever and it, it comes off as really dumb. Okay. Okay. I well, do not like that film. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this mini review of Joker that we slipped in here. <laughs> um, I, I haven't seen it, so I can't say one way or the other. Uh, but... Watch King of Comedy first, then watch Joker. Okay. And Taxi Driver. 
Yeah, and Just any, t- any, any Scorsese film from the 70s. Yeah, the only the only thing remotely connected to Joker that I've seen was the Saturday Night Live sketch where David Harbour was, was Oscar the Grouch. The Grouch yeah. But they did it like Joker, and that yeah. was fantastic. That's Amazing. all I need to say. Sunny Marty days. Popkin. Marty Popkin. <laughs> the trailers for the film were edited by Paul Thomas Anderson himself without any permission from the studio. Uh, the trailers were noticeable. Sorry, the trailers were notable for consisting mostly of footage not but featured. Were they noticeable? Yes, they were noticeable. They're a trailer. <laughs> the trailers were notable. Honk for... if you love this one. Uh, we found the one thing. We every every time we found the thing that Tegan does. <laughs> You're no, like... the thing that Tegan does is. Yeah. <laughs> You're like um, Christopher Evan Walsh's character. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. That was very funny. (laughs) Yes, great. That was very funny. That's so Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, The footage from the trailer was mostly not the footage that was in the final film. Uh, So yeah. Do you know what what else Paul Thomas Anderson does? What in his um, Blu-rays and DVDs, he doesn't ever put um, deleted scenes or extra features or stuff, but he cuts together like the little offshoots and outtakes and bits of deleted scenes and makes this weird kind of tonal montage that that can last anywhere from like eight minutes to 12 minutes and and puts that on and it's like this strange montage of of like voices and and scenes and shots that's right and you and like oh these are like all extra stuff but it's like none of this is in the film that's true yes and i remember that from or it had a different cut on the DVD as well. Like it was, so I had the punch when the Punch Drunk Love DVD. Hmm. I have a vague memory of that. Punch Drunk Love and Punch Drunk Love also has the a, like a cut of the the strange tonal painting yeah. things as well. Yeah, the, yeah, that weird color um, saturation. But yeah, it does have those these strange little extra That's things right. and these like little moments at the ends of takes and stuff that he likes. Like he's he got too like, much bloody time on his hands. Yeah. It takes him five years to get a film out, so, you know, yeah. he's, he's, he's got a bit of time. Um, PTA, as uh, I'm going to call him now, uh, Paul Thomas Parent Anderson. Parent Teachers Association. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I yeah. Parent Teachers Anderson uh, has acknowledged <laughs> that L. Ron Hubbard and the Church of Scientology served as a partial basis for the character of Lancaster Dodd and the cult, The Cause. This revelation sparked much discussion in the press as the Church of Scientology has a long history of litigation against critics of Hubbard. Uh, Though the church released no official comment on the film, Anderson claimed that when he screened the film for his friend Tom Cruise... Thank you. Uh, <laughs> an outspoken Scientology advocate. No. Cruz erupted with anger, specifically objecting to the scenes where Dodd's son, Val, admits that Dodd made up the tenets of the cause, which parallels real-life admissions by Hubbard's son. Anderson has admitted to a heated exchange with Cruz, although both the actor and the director have kept the details of their argument and the outcome private. And Anderson did this screening partly because he is or at least was up until 2012 friends with tom cruise and was gave him a screening basically going look i know scientology is really important to you you might see something that's kind of rhymes with it in this film so can you watch it and see what you think and apparently tom not a fan or purportedly not a fan purportedly not a fan yeah we uh were they just friends because of magnolia or were they actual friends 
Look, I, I'm not in Hollywood circles, Tegan. It may surprise well, you. Well, look on IMDb. <laughs> Okay. I must say. Okay, I'll I want look. to know the intimate details of their lives. I don't like. Can't, my, can't we just I ask don't Kate? Like my, my thoughts. Can't we my just? Loves being sullied by. Excuse me. Can't we just ask yeah. Kate no. Mulvaney, <laughs> your sister, who is a Hollywood actor? I will now call her. No. <laughs> she doesn't know Tom. She can ask Al. Al. <laughs> He'll know. Um, Pasquino. Oh, Pacino. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a that's a pretty good friend to have like, in Hollywood. I feel like Tom should stay friends with Paul Thomas Anderson because he did give him like his best role in a very long time. Yeah. He like he wanted that role. Yeah. And that's why I was like, it must be from that film because he and was he, like, he I want got it. and he got recognition for that role. It as was well. good. And it was like, yeah, it was. I didn't I would, know. I don't watch Tom Cruise films, but I would watch that one. I didn't know Paul Thomas Anderson directed Tropic Thunder. That's that's amazing. <laughs> he directed Risky Business. But mm. Tropic Thunder is weirdly enough the kind of film that Paul Thomas Anderson might direct. Yeah, mm. you never oh. know with him. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, Peggy Dodd, played by Amy Adams, makes the announcement that they, the cause, will be publishing her husband, Mr. Dodd's second book, The Split Sabre in Phoenix, Arizona, because Phoenix symbolises new beginnings. It's the same reason Joaquin Phoenix and his family changed their last name to Phoenix after they, in real life, left the Children of God cult in the 1970s. That's right. I forgot they were a cult family. I discovered from this the that, leaf. that Joaquin Phoenix's original surname was Bottom. Leaf Bottom? Yep. Because his real name's Leaf. Mm. Leaf Bottom. Because yep. in parenthood, he's, he, was, he, he still was goes leaf. by Leaf. He was Leaf in Space Camp. Yeah. He was Leaf up until he's after River died, I think. Point is, his name used to be Bottom. and that's His fine. name was Leaf Bottom. Leaf Bottom. River Bottom. Oh. Uh, oh. Rain Bottom and Summer Bottom. <laughs> that's the whole family. And their posh uh, English cousin, Top and Bottom. Because that's Casey Affleck's wife is... Summer bottom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank goodness they changed it. Summer Phoenix. In order to achieve the effect of clenching his mouth and talking clenching out of one side, and clenching his bottom indeed, uh, Joaquin Phoenix made uh, his dentist attach metal plates to his teeth with rubber bands to hold them shut. The rubber bands weren't strong enough to hold his mouth shut, however, so they were eventually removed, but the metal plates, complete with screws that slightly cut into the inside of his cheek, were enough of a constant reminder that allowed him to play that aspect of the character. I sort of feel like you can probably achieve that without dental surgery. Why was it necessary for him to talk out of one side of his mouth anyway? It just made me not understand, but it made me not understand a lot of what he said. Doing the Marlon Brando thing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mm. Uh, this movie premiered. This makes me ha- get the shits on it when I hear these things <laughs> from actors. Yeah, yeah. Just like... act. Just act. Part part of me is like yes, and also part of me is like um, the actors never intend anyone to know any of that. They're just like doing what helps them. <laughs> like, I know. I think that in the to- like there was a moment it, when it... I was watching the toilet smashing. Yeah. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's just standing there. I don't know how method he is, but I feel I was trying to like imagine his <laughs> internal dialogue where he was like, oh, oh that's so much work. All you have to do is just do it like this. <laughs> just because he was so well, that's good. his character as well. <laughs> I, I, I think so. But I was like, I was just, I'm like, just 
just when they say go, you just do it. And then mm. when they say stop, you stop doing it. And go, do, stop, go stop. Do, the Tegan Mulvaney School of Acting. Go, do, stop. Go, do, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> There's Not, heaps none of, of this fucking yeah. stuff in your teeth and mm. Leonardo eating livers in The Revenant. And oh. I'm like, I hate it. Mm. Just do it. Just act. Paul Thomas Anderson premiered the film with a surprise 70mm screening at the American Cinematheque in Los Angeles in August 2012, following a 4K restoration of The Shining, uh, almost a full month before the official world premiere at the Venice Film Festival. Those in attendance were told before the start of The Shining that there would be a special free screening after the film, but did not reveal that the screening would be the world premiere of the film. It does seem like a slightly interesting, but not completely inappropriate film to double bill with The Shining. Yeah, uh, I guess aesthetically, mm. um, very much so. Mm. Particularly the, the the England base of uh, the cause <laughs> was was quite shining as you put it. It was yeah. <laughs> All those blown out windows. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, the primary influence for this film was John Huston's 1946 documentary Let There Be Light. Um, director Paul Thomas Anderson has stated that he was taking material from that film left, right, and center. Uh, producer Joanne Seller has also stated that they used the film as a reference for production design and costume design. Mm. That's a film about uh, war vets yeah. coming home and rehabilitating having ptsd yeah yeah Mm. yeah Uh, that rang very true that mm. was a bit unsettling at the start to see all of that Mm. and be like "Mm." and i was wondering because i was wondering at the start if they were going to go into like blood trauma and body Mm. trauma because been studying a lot of that recently about how we because there was a bit of that in the the teachings i guess that we heard from the from Lancaster Dodd and his stuff about how the body holds on to trauma when they were doing all the stuff about going back into mm. into the womb and into utero and mm. past lives and things. So at the at the start, I, I was kind of like, I was wondering if that's what they were going to look at, like the idea of mm. our bodies holding on to trauma. But then, but then Scientology. <laughs> then I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> smart. Some, something else. Uh, as Rob stated earlier, uh, this was the first motion picture in 16 years to be filmed on 65mm format using Panavision's System 65 camera, um, with the previous film being Kenneth Branagh's 1996 adaptation of Hamlet. Uh, two other films in the 2010s uh, were shot on 65mm and screened theatrically mm. at 70. What are they? No, he knows. He just nodded like he knew. Would Rob, you like to What, to what are they, Rob? Oh, uh, I would say Dunkirk. Correct. And... The Hateful Eight? Correct! Dunkirk and The Hateful Eight. They were the other two I, I do. I do remember the master, the, 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 the talk of, of it filming on 65mm. I feel mm. like it spurred on the other film diehards. Is it Sam Mendes? No, that's not Sam Mendes. That's, I know that it's Tarantino. Tar- and... Tarantino and uh, Christopher Nolan. Uh, no, yes. Christopher yeah. Nolan, who shoots everything on or like IMAX or like the yeah. large format. Yeah. Those the two biggest film geeks currently directing in Hollywood were yeah. both like, oh, let's do that. Yeah. yeah. The final bit of trivia is that Lancaster Dodd very pleasingly yells, pig fuck, 
at one point <laughs> in this film. Um, this was semi-improvised um, because when trying to get Philip Seymour Hoffman in the right headspace for this scene, Paul Thomas Anderson plucked out a piece of the actor's hair before a take, and that's what he <laughs> shouted when he did that. <laughs> <laughs> so he was trying to get him wound up. He just pulled the hair. Apparently, Philip Seymour Hoffman just went, pig fuck! And he went, use it. <laughs> so, that's, that's where that comes from. Which I'm just very pleased to learn. Having seen some behind the scenes material from Magnolia and, and seeing Paul Thomas Anderson directing Philip Seymour Hoffman in some scenes of that, I can, I can imagine that happening exactly like you performed it. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh dear, yes. Well, uh, that brings us to the scores. Uh, we have to give this film a score out of 10. And Tegan. Yeah. It was your first time watching The Master, so you get to go first. What score would you give this film out of 10? Oh, I don't know. Um, it's hard. I'll just go with um, with, a, with how Rob Woods is feeling. And we'll go with yeah. seven semen out of 10. Seven semen out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a hard one to score. It I, is. I, yeah. It's a. It's a good film. It's lots of wonderful stuff in it. It's a good film, but is it my kind of film? But is it my kind? It is my kind of film. That's the thing. But it's. There's but something. It's not one I'm you like, want to rewatch hmm. immediately. Like, no, I'd watch parts of it. Like I'd go on YouTube and find excerpts yeah. and be like, I'll watch that bit again. Hmm. I'll watch that bit again. Um. I feel like there's just some. Slightly, there's just moments where I found myself out of it thinking about the acting, like mm. and the yeah right, like the money shot at the end of the tear running down. That I was like, I know what's going on in Joaquin Phoenix's head right now. He's like, I've got the tear out. I've got <laughs> the tear out. Ha ha! There you go. There was just moments like that. I'm like, okay, well, if my brain is doing that, <laughs> then I'm not invested <laughs> in this enough mm. to really care. Um, but that could have been the mood I was in. Mm. That could have been the jokes happening yeah, to jokes. my left. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Pulling me out of it. There were some incredible moments though. Yeah, yeah. seven semen. Yeah, seven out semen. of ten. Yeah, seven I, sandy semen out I, of ten. I could tell that you were getting into the film when you hit me on the arm after about the <laughs> sixth or seventh joke. I had to start just thinking them instead of saying them. <laughs> uh, Robert, what about yourself? What would you give this film out of ten? I'll give it seven broken toilets <laughs> out of ten. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to give it a little bit more than a seven because I I do think it is a really just beautifully shot film. And I, I, the story, yeah, it was pretty good. The acting was very good. Um, But but just the look of the film, I was really impressed by. And it was just one of those films that was actually quite hard to take notes for because I didn't want to look away Mm. as much. And that, that I think is what is quite, is quite telling having done, a couple of hundred of these now, I can tell when it's a look that I like because I'm going, no, oh, I have to look down to write my stupid <laughs> notes. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it seven and a half pig fox out of ten <laughs> um, because, yeah, it's 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 good, but I agree it's probably not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Tegan and Robert, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. You're welcome. Thank you. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Uh, you know what's coming up now. We got a Patreon. Excuse me. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yes, sir? Uh, sorry. Uh, are you aware that Patreons are? Sounds a little bit like, uh, I don't know, 
patronizing. Patron, yeah. I can't keep this joke up. I just, I didn't know you were going to, I thought you were going to ignore me. <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't have a follow up. Sorry, this is where I'm different from the cult leader, Lancaster Dot. If someone uh. did that, I'd be like, yes, straight away, <laughs> which is why I was not cast in this Your cult leader plat. Yeah. The cinema catch up cult. My cinema cult, yeah, where we just have a nice time and watch films and then go home. That's, oh, that's the best cult. Yeah. If you want to be part of that cult and contribute money towards it, go to patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast for as little as a dollar a month you can get eternal enlightenment and movie reviews and i may poison you at various points like a like a puerto rican cabbage farmer i didn't poison him he drank it himself i didn't poison him he drank it himself drink the passiona you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there for news and updates. And you can subscribe. Get a new episode each and every week. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, however you choose to uh, get your podcasts. Do it. Do it. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm not your mum. Do, do you but do you're what you our leader. I am your... Okay, I'm your leader. In which case, uh, you know what? Spotify, ooh, they've had a bit of a rough year. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's help them out. <laughs> Listen to us there, I guess. I don't know. No, I am He the sold master. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I sold out, absolutely. Now, nah, however you want to listen to it. I understand there's other podcatchers. I don't know their names. Go and listen to them if you want. Uh, just as Pod long as you're catcher. listening to us once a week, talking about films and having a great time. But that's all for this week. So until next time, I'm gonna get you... <laughs> On a slow boat to China. Yes, Matthew. All to myself. Is that your rendition of the theme music? Yeah. Oh. It's perfect. I mean, the audience are literally about to hear just how perfect it was. Roll the actual music. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.